0: God is good all the time. Uh, just thought I might remind you, <clears throat> we have a group down in uh, Cumberland Falls State Park this morning at uh, Spirit Fest, uh, I think about 25 or so are down there. They'll be back sometime just before our uh, evening uh, worship service, our evening Bible study. And so uh, if we're a little thin this morning, that's, what, uh, that's what's going on. We've got about 25 or 30 people who are... Uh, Who are there right now, and we might uh, just remember them in our prayers. That they might get back all right, safely, and pray that good things have been happening there. Um, yes, uh, a good friend of mine, our brother in Christ, uh, Lane Riser, passed away this morning, and um, Debbie is very alone right now. Uh, he, was, uh, he was her rock, and... Uh, there are no children. There's some stepchildren. Uh, I know there's going to be some phone calls made if they haven't already been made. Uh, 2 stepsons who live over in the St. Louis area. And, but I think that we need to have somebody with her until they can get here. Uh, I don't think she's in any uh, – I don't think she's able to be alone or should be alone. And so if you can help out with that, that would be good. I, I don't know when the boys are going to get in, but uh, we, we hope soon. Well, it's almost that time of year when we uh, watch this movie on TV called A Wonderful Life. It's one of those Christmas classics. It's about a man named George Bailey who wasn't able to see his impact. Uh, Not really. He wanted to do something for the community. and He saw how the, uh, the banks were mistreating the people in his community. He created a little savings and loan that was based on that community, and uh, something happened where he did not make a deposit that needed to be made, and his little business, his little savings loan was going to go under. He is, uh, he's terribly distraught, disappointed, the local banker is about to foreclose on him, he goes out to a bridge, and he's about to jump off that bridge, and end it all, because he, there's just no point, and an angel comes, and stops him. And the angel does something for him that uh, I wish that an angel could do for all of us. He could show us how important uh, we are to the people around us. That angel showed him the impact that he had had on that community and what that community would be like without him. And when uh, it finally dawned on George that uh, he was more important than what he realized, uh, he kind of pulled himself together, and you know, it's a great ending. It's a movie that we watch uh, just about every Christmas. Well, George is like most people, I think. We cannot see how we are, um, how we are impacting the people around us, the people in our world, how important we might be. And I think not only do we have problems seeing that about ourselves, but I think to some extent we have the same problem seeing that with God. We kind of know with our heads that God is here, that He's busy, that He's working that he's doing the things that he needs to be doing. But, you know, we're just not able to see it. No one's ever taken away God out of our world. And so we don't really understand what an impact he has upon just the day-to-day workings of life. We're not able to envision our world without God at the controls. We've never experienced that. And the thing that I want to uh, say to you this morning is if we cannot see God at work, if we can't see his hand at work in our world, it's very hard for us to dream the dream that he has for us. That's what we've been talking about here for the last few weeks, about daring to dream again. A couple weeks ago, we started, uh, we started this. We started off in Genesis chapter 12 with a man named Abraham, or Abram, at age 75. And in Genesis chapter 12, God gives Abraham a dream. It's basically a promise. I mean, you can call it a promise, a dream, whatever you want to call it? But he says, "You know, I'm going to make a great nation out of you. I'm going to give you a land, and through you all the nations of the world will be blessed. That dream is given to him at 75 years of age. Of course, at that time, Abraham had no children. Twenty-four years later, Genesis chapter 15, he still has no children. He's 99 years old, and he is confused and discouraged, and he is uh, about to give up on his dream. The dream that God had given to him, in fact, if he hadn't already given up, he's already starting to try to find other ways to make God's promise come true. And God uh, comes to him as the angel of Jehovah, takes him out to the evening sky, and he points up at the sky with Abraham by, beside him. He says, Abraham, you see those stars up there? Abraham said, yeah, I see the stars. He said, your descendants are going to be as numerous as the stars in this evening sky. Trust me. And the Bible says in Genesis 15 and 6, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Abraham began to dream again, the dream that God had for him. And when Abraham got together with God's dream, when Abraham's dream became God's dream, God's dream became Abraham's dream, amazing things did happen. Last week, we talked about another person who was deeply involved in a dream from God. That was a man named Joseph. God gave Joseph a dream at age 17. We talked about that dream for a while. It didn't make everybody happy in his family, upset some of the people there. But it was an important dream that God gave to Joseph. It took 22 years for that dream to be realized, but it did happen. And the point that I wanted to make last week was just that Joseph faced all kinds of discouragement along the way. He hung on to God's dream through some awfully tough times, but he persevered in faith. And at age 39, that dream that God gave him at age 17 was realized. But he had the courage to dream again, God's dream, even through times of great discouragement. Now, I want to go one step further this morning. I want to talk about another barrier to living God's dream for us. Our, uh, and it has to do with our inability to see God at work in our present time. We're not going to dream God's dream for us if we don't believe he is alive and well and active today. A God who makes a difference in the world we live in today. And sometimes that's hard for us to see. And when we can't see it, we have trouble dreaming God's dream. Here's the problem for us. We believe in, in, in a God of creation. We believe God is very active in, there in Genesis chapter 1, however many thousands of years ago that was. We believe in, in a God who has been active in history, that he has uh, moved things along in the direction he wanted. And we, we point to those times that we read about in our Bibles. We know that God is going to come be, be sending his son back to judge this world and to wrap it all up and uh, to judge it and to, and to bring to uh, fruition everything that he's promised. But we do have trouble believing in the God of today, in the God who is active today, in the God who is working today. Somehow we believe that God worked in the day of Moses and the prophets and the apostles. And we believe in a God who's coming back to judge the world. But we have trouble believing that there is a God who is busy among his people today. We believe that God is omnipotent, that he's able to do anything. But the question really is, will he act? And is he busy today? I know, I believe that many of God's people have quit dreaming God's dream because... They believe that God is basically packed up and left. I mean, he, he was busy at creation, and he, he, he left us a rule book, and then he kind of checked out for, for a while, and he said, I'll see you at Judgment Day, and we're on our own right now. I think that's how a lot of people look at this thing with, with God. Why do we have that problem? Well, it's not that God hasn't been clear in his promises. I think it's, it's all very clear in the Bible I'm just thinking of some places where, I mean, I could read a hundred of these verses where God is kind of laying out the dream, you know. He said, hey, I'm busy, I'm with you, I'm active, I'm here. Matthew twenty-eight nineteen and 20, it's the Great Commission. This is Jesus talking to his disciples. He says, go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And here it is, lo, I'm with you always even to the end of the world. And here's Jesus just saying to his disciples, he said, the reason I want you to get busy is because I'm, I'm going to be with you. I'll help you. you. You're not doing this alone. And what he's telling is he said, hey, I'm here, I'm busy, I'm active. I'm a part of your world. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25, another place where I think you see a, a great promise of God. Therefore, he is able also to save forever those who draw near to God through him. Since he always lives for what? This is speaking of Jesus. To make intercession for us, for them. He's talking about us. He ever lives to make intercession for us. He's busy. He's active. The Son prays to the Father for us. He intercedes for us. Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. This is what the Apostle Paul said to the Philippian church. But uh, it's that last, that's uh, that verse 13 that I'm really interested in. He says, So then, my beloved, just as you've always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Well, why, Paul? Why do you say that to the church? For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And I just want you to notice, uh, Paul speaks of this in the present tense. And he writes this not just to the Philippian church, but it's to the church forever, until the end of the age. For God is at work in us, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. There's the, God, the, the, the promise. And so it isn't that God hasn't been clear on his promises, because they're there, they're, they're everywhere. And it's not that God isn't keeping those promises. There's a couple places in our New Testament where it says it is impossible for God to lie. If he were to lie, he would no longer be God. And so here, just these two places I'm thinking about, Titus chapter 1 and verse 2, speaking of Jesus, in the hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised long ages ago. God's made a promise, and he can't lie. So when you read the promises of God, you know somehow or the other those things are happening. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 18, basically the same thing where he speaks of how God bound himself by by an oath, by his own character and by his oath to unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie. We who have taken refuge would have strong encouragement to take hold of the hope that is set before us. It's impossible for God to lie. And when he makes those promises, somehow or the other, we have to believe, we have to understand that God is keeping those promises because if he were to lie, he would no longer be God. And so it, it's not that God hasn't been clear in his promises. It's not that he isn't keeping them. The problem is with our eyes. The problem is with our, our, our vision. And there are just a couple things I want to say here. First of all, sometimes uh, God is hard to see. I mean, I admit that. I'm not always able to, uh, and you're, you're in the same boat. We aren't always able to discern God's hand as it moves along through, through, through this world there's some things where we just don't see how that works and how that could possibly be god but it's not that he isn't there and working he's just hard to see i remember when uh, Caleb and jacob our little fellows we had this book called uh, where's waldo do you ever look at that little book it's just a book full of pictures of uh, and uh, very detailed pictures and somewhere in there there's this character named waldo who's hiding on every page and so we would it would take us Sometimes five, six, seven, eight minutes, ten minutes, maybe, to find Waldo on one of those pages. And then we turn the page and we would go to the next page. We'd have to find Waldo again. Well, Waldo was hard to spot. He was hard to see. Sometimes you wonder where God is when it's kind of like looking for Waldo on the pages. I remember it's just been about ten or 15, ten or twelve years ago. There was this thing going around where <clears throat> they, they had these three D drawings where uh, you looked at him, and you thought you saw what was there, but if you brought them up or, uh, or moved them back and you kind of held your eyes in focus. I can't remember if you had to look through it or you had to look in front of it or whatever, focus in front of it, but all of a sudden an image comes out of that picture, that piece of paper that you didn't see. And, and, and so I, I felt like a fool. I mean, I was walking around trying to do, I, I wasn't very good at this. Uh, but eventually, eventually I could, I could get, I get things around you know, at, at, at the right distance here where I was able to see the image. What well, was there all along? But I really had to work to see that thing. I remember uh, taking walks with uh, Serena many times. And if we're walking through the yard or walking the, uh, even along the road, Serena has, I have never found a four-leaf clover in my life. Even when Serena was pointing at it, I couldn't find it. She can be walking and, and looking you know, at a distance and stop <laughs> and pick up a four-leaf clover. I don't know how she does that. But I, I've never been able to do that. So it, it's not that God isn't there. Sometimes the problem is our own vision. We're, he, he, he's hard to see, and we just have to work with it. His ways are not our ways. That's what Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9 says. And so uh, maybe that's part of the reason why it's hard to see. Because God works in ways that we don't really uh, understand. and It's not our way of going about things. God says, my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Well, I can understand if that's the way God works, and maybe that's why he's hard to see sometimes. God is big. I mean, really big. He's so vast, you can't take him in. You've got to you know, back up and take a look sometimes to, to see one end from the other. In Acts chapter 17 and verse 28, the apostle Paul is, is in Athens, and he's preaching that sermon there on Mars Hill. And he, he's talking to a bunch of pagans, and he quotes a pagan prophet. And, and one of the pagan prophets or poets had described their God like this, in him we live and move and have our being as even some of your poets have said. Well, Paul said, yeah, this is a good description of God. He's so big that in him we live and move and have. He's bigger than all of us, and we kind of live inside of him. I can understand why it would be hard to see him if you're inside of him. Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 12, it's another way of describing how big God is. And and so uh, Isaiah the prophet says this, and this is in in the NIV and it describes God like this, who has, me- who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, or with the breadth of his hand marked off the heavens. Do you understand how big the universe is? I mean, we're talking about uh, thousands and, and, and millions of light years across. And, and God is so big that in the distance, in the span of his hand, in fact, most of the translations, rather than say the breadth of his hand, it will say by the span the span was the distance from your middle finger to your thumb. And in the span of his hand, God marks off the universe. Do you realize how big he's got to be to do that? That's why it's hard to see him sometimes. He is the invisible God. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 17. Now unto the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be glory and honor forever and ever. Amen. Well, God's described as invisible. He's a spirit. I can understand why it might be hard to see him sometimes. And so maybe that's the first problem we've got to deal with. you really got to try hard sometimes to see what God's doing, to see him at work. Here's a second thing that uh, makes it hard for us to see. Sometimes uh, I think that we have taught ourselves not to see. I think we have kind of programmed ourselves not to see. And there's a, there's a reason for this, lots of reasons for this, but this is one. I'm just going to say this to people in the churches of Christ. Uh, You've got some history with, with, these, with us. We have not been comfortable with a God who does too much. Have you noticed that? I've noticed that about us. We have not been comfortable with a God who does too much, especially in this present day and time. If you go back and read the debates, now we, we don't do these debates so much anymore, but if you went back, say, uh, 100 years or uh, 125 years, about that, about that range of time, coming up into the, the 1930s and so, debating was a big thing in, among religious people, churches and all that. And you know the kind of things that we debated the kind of things we talked about in, in our debates, we were always the ones who were, uh, who were saying that uh, no, there are no miraculous gifts available, no gifts of the Spirit available in this present time. So we were kind of on that side of it saying, no, 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 Th- those miraculous gifts no longer exist. That was our, our end of the debate. And, and, and when it came time to talk about the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, no, 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 we don't believe in a personal indwelling of the Holy Spirit. We think that the indwelling of the Spirit is accomplished through the Word. That was a very common debate position in the churches for Christ. And, you know, when we talked about people who, who were outside the body of Christ saying prayers, no, 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 God would not listen to the prayer of a sinner. That's, that just can't happen. So we're, we were always in the position of saying what God would not do. God, well, you know, we're kind of pulling back in that area. And I think there's been some fallout from that. We've kind of taught ourselves not to see God. We've portrayed God as non-miraculous, non-active in this present world. So that when God does answer a prayer, you know, we pray our prayers. And when God does answer a prayer, we may be a little bit embarrassed or confused about it. And very slow to give God credit or glory. We uh, We don't see him because we've taught ourselves not to. God wants us to see him. He wants us to remember what we've seen. In fact, he wants us to tell it. There's a story in Luke chapter 8, and it's the uh, casting out of the demons that lived in this man named Legion, the guy that lived in the tombs. Jesus comes up. uh, He's just come across the uh, Sea of Galilee, landed on the shore, and this this crazy guy comes running down out of the the hills, out of the cemetery up there on top of the hill, uh, screaming and yelling, whatever. and, And Jesus takes that guy. He casts the demons out of him. And when the guy has uh, you know, got himself straightened up and got his clothes on and kind of b- back in his right mind, uh, he is so, he's so uh, in love with Jesus. Jesus had done something for him that nobody else could. And he wants to go along with Jesus. And you know what Jesus says to him? This is Luke chapter 8, verse 39. He said, no, I don't want you to come along with me. But Luke 8, 39, he says, return to your house and describe what great things God has done for you. So what does the guy do? So he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city <laughs> what great things Jesus had done for him. You know, uh, there are a lot of times when Jesus tells people, don't say anything to anybody. Have you noticed that in the Gospels? Don't tell anybody what's happened here. This is the one guy that he actually gave him permission to say something to somebody else, to his family. And the guy can't contain himself. He's not going to just back to his house. He's got to tell the whole city. But I'm just saying God does want us to see his work. He wants us to remember it, and he wants us to tell it. And the problem that we have is sometimes we've taught ourselves not to see. There's something else that makes it hard for us to see with our eyes. Sometimes we are simply taking God's work for granted. We have never lived in a world where God's work was not present. So we really don't know what it's all about. George Bailey was blind to the impact of, uh, that he had had on, on his community and on his family and all the people there because he had never seen a world without him. But when, the, when he gets ready to take himself out, the angel says, Wait a minute. You need to see what this community would be like if you were gone. If you had never lived, this is what it would be like. And he showed him. And George, it did just not. Man, okay, I, I've, I've got I've to stay in this thing. He had been taken for granted. He had taken himself for granted. But ask yourself, what would this world be like if God quit doing what he's been doing all along? In our, in our scripture reading this morning, there's a, a statement that's made. It's Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3. And it's, it, it's the words, go ahead and put that up there for us. Hebrews 1 and 3. And he, this is speaking of, of, of the Son of God. He is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of God's nature. And he upholds, sustains all things by the word of his power. Now, here's what I want you to understand. In, in Genesis chapter 1, you see the God of creation. God who is, who is making all these things and putting them in, in place and, and all that. And, the, and they're set in motion. But what this verse says, what those words say that I've got to underline to her, that he upholds all things by the word of his power, is that now God is busy sustaining all of the operations, all of the principles of life all the principles that govern this universe, God is sustaining it by the word of his power. It says so right there. Take God out of the picture and what do you got? I think you've got what is back in Genesis chapter one, verse one, or verse two, the earth became formless and void and darkness was on the face of the deep. If it were not for God's sustaining power, not just his creative power, but his sustaining power, we wouldn't be here. So big difference between here with and without. I'm thinking of something else that uh, kind of falls in this line. This is a Revelation chapter 20, verses 1 through 3. And This is a this is vision that uh, John is given. And, and the way I interpret this vision, uh, the, the thousand years and all that, I know there's been different ways of doing this. But this is, the way I, this is the way I understand it. And I think this is right or I wouldn't be telling you this. But John says, then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding the key of the abyss and a great chain in his hand. So we're going to talk about the binding of Satan. When when is Satan bound? And he laid hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, who is the devil, and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. Okay, I'm going to say, and I, I believe this is true, that Satan is cast into this pit. Satan is cast into this abyss and chained at the cross of Christ. I think that is the beginning of this long period of time, this thousand years. That Satan is put into this pit. He is chained and kept there. He is restrained in some way. It's not that he no longer exists. But he's restrained in some way. And and the restraint is mentioned to us here. Exactly what happens to Satan as he's put into the pit. And he's bound him for a thousand years. And threw him into the abyss. And shut it and sealed it over him. And here's the effect of that chaining or that restraint. So that he would not deceive the nations any longer. Until the thousand years were completed. After these things, he must be released for a short time. I believe, and I think the Bible teaches this, that there is a restraining power that God exerts on this world. That Satan Satan is here and he's active, but he's not able to do everything that he would like to do. He's He's not allowed to do everything that he could do. Because something has happened. God has got a chain on him. He's restraining him. I mean, think about it. Satan's pretty powerful. And, and if, it's, if, it's, if it's Satan against us and there's no one in between, it's just him and us in the ring, we're, we're toast. We're done. It's over. Because we're, we're no match. But if someone comes along and kind of puts some restraints on him and kind of levels the playing field, let's say, then it's not impossible for us to be servants of God and have victory in our life and to live for the Lord if we want to, if we make that choice. And I think that's exactly what God has done. I think there's a restraining power. So imagine this world without the restraining power of God on Satan as opposed to what we have. And so sometimes we simply take God's work for granted. We don't realize what this world would be like if he were to be suddenly taken out of the picture. And then number four. Sometimes we simply fail to look in the places where God can be most easily seen. The place where I think where God is most easily seen, I I can think of a lot of things here, but I'm just going to say these. First of all, let's let's put up Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 and 8. Jesus said, Ask, and it shall be given to you, seek, and you shall find, knock, and the door shall be opened to you. For he that asks receives, and he that seeks will find, and to him that knocks, the door will be opened. He's talking about prayer, isn't he? You know, what is Jesus teaching us? He says, pray your prayer. And what you're asking for is, is probably going to happen. What you're asking for, you'll receive. What you're seeking, you're going to find. What you're not, The door you're knocking will eventually be opened. So we pray our prayers, and what do we need to do next? We need to watch. We need to watch for that answer when it comes. So that we can see God at work. Uh, th- that's just an obvious place to look, isn't it? There are, there are unusual times. There are unusual linkages or timing that comes along from time to time in, in the life of, of Christian people. And we pass off too much of that as coincidence. I know uh, Harry Woodworth used to talk about, talk about this. He said, it's not a coincidence. It's a God incidence. A God incidence, not a coincidence. I remember... Um, Back in 2000, my son Caleb was on a field trip with um, the students from Great Lakes Christian High School. They were on a field trip to New York City. And we had gotten a little four-page thing, uh, he had brought this home to us back in September and I think this had to be been November or something like that, but back in the early part of the school year they sent this thing home. And you had it was a very detailed description of what was going to happen in this trip, and a permission slip attached to the back. And we had to sign that permission slip and give it to uh, Caleb, and he carried it back to the school out there in Beamsville, Ontario. And um, I, I, you know, I just took that thing and threw it in my briefcase, forgot about it. So uh, one Saturday morning, I'm I'm over here at the church building. It's a several. Several weeks, weeks and weeks and weeks later, and, and I, I'm going through my uh, briefcase, and I'm cleaning out all the junk. You know, it's collects in here, and I come across, what do I come across? The itinerary and a bunch of phone numbers and contacts and all this kind of stuff, and, and I look at the date, and I say, huh, Caleb and all those kids are in New York City today. I don't guess I need this anymore, so I give it a pitch. I just throw it in the trash can right there beside me. I hadn't looked at that thing, and I, I didn't even know where it was, but I run into it in the bottom of my briefcase. If I'm lying, I'm dying. An hour later, I get a phone call from Caleb Miller. Dad, I'm at, I'm at 55th and 5th, and I can't find the group. They're not where they're supposed to be. They were supposed to meet at 55th and 5th, right here in front of FAO Schwartz. But they're not here. What am I going to do? And uh, you know what? I leaned over, reached into the wastebasket, pulled out the itinerary that had all the phone numbers of the people I needed to talk to. I dialed those numbers, and bingo, I was talking to the right guy. And through a series of phone calls to the New York Police Department and all this kind of stuff, we got the group back to where Caleb was. Well, you know, you say, well, that's a great coincidence, Steve. I, I, don't, I don't call that a coincidence. That's a God incident, God was looking out. Looking out for my family. That's a great thing. Sometimes we simply fail to look in the places where God can be most easily seen. And it's in those times that we realize God's watching out for us. And we need to pay particularly close attention. This is a place where you're going to see God. Pay particularly close attention to the rough spots in life. There's a description of God in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3. This is where the Apostle Paul starts his letter off like this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort. The God of all comfort. What? Why is he called the God of all comfort? Because when the rough spots show up, God is there. He is the God of mercies and the God of all comfort. Comfort. And so it's in those spots. Sometimes we don't see him. Sometimes we have to get a little time between us and that event to realize how God was there working and how he was taking care of things. We're talking about daring to dream again this morning. And to dream God's dream for us. And when we understand that God is at work today. That he is busy. We will have the courage to dream his dream again. Might have to have our eyes sensitized to him. We might have to uh, kind of work at this a little bit to understand and see it all. But this is what the Jeremiah the prophet said. This is God speaking to the people of Israel. He said, you will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all of your heart. When you decide that you want to see God, And you want to see him at work. And you want to see what he's doing. If you seek him with all of your heart, you can find him. You can see. There are things that uh, God is doing that we will never see or understand. There's all kinds of things that happen in life where we wonder where God is. But here is one of the reasons why God has given us the cross. He gave us the cross so that it would be unmistakable, very clear. In those times when we cannot see what God is doing, we don't understand why this has happened or why it's going down the way that it is, we can be sure of this one thing. We can look at the cross and know that he still loves us. When we cannot trace his hand, we can still trust his heart because we see the heart of God on the cross of Christ. Is there someone here this morning? That needs to become a child of God today. We're going to sing the hymn of invitation. And when we sing that hymn. We're just inviting you to come. To confess your faith in Christ. To repent of your sins. To determine from this day forward. To live for the Lord. And then to be baptized. In the name of Christ. Baptized into Christ. That you might become a child of God. For we are all children of God through faith for as many of us as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ Galatians 3 26 and 27 if there's someone here today like that this hymn of invitation is for you let's stand and sing if you need